it's John and Casey here from Are You Real? And we've been sleeping on my pillow now for over a month. And I'm telling you, our sleep has improved drastically. So what are you waiting for? When are you going to jump on board and start experiencing the kind of restorative sleep you need in your life? Are you waiting for a better offer? Well, your wait is over because if you go to MyPillow.com right now, you can take advantage of the MyPillow four-pack offer, right, John? That's right. You get two premium MyPillows and two to-go anywhere pillows at half off. Just go to MyPillow.com, use my code REAL, and get 50% off. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the four-pack special, and enter promo code REAL, or call 1-800-943-4615. But don't forget, you got to use promo code REAL. Welcome to Are You Real? Finding the Authentic You, the podcast that focuses on Christians that are active in everyday life. Join in as we speak to everyone from successful business owners to educators to athletes about their faith and how it helps them reach out and revolutionize those around them to do the same. And now get ready to roar with your host, the voice of manifestation, John Fuller. Hey, Roar Nation, John Fuller here, and we are fired up and ready to go today. So, That being said, I'm really excited about this. Totally different. We are going to be talking about entrepreneurship. We're going to be talking about purpose, fear, and stepping out in the journey. Because like uh, most of us, if not all of us, there's a little bit of fear when you jump out and just go do something. So that being said, we are going to talk about all those things. And are you ready to do this, Jessica? I am ready. Okay, so... Uh, Roar Nation, check this out. I'm just going to hit real quick on a couple things about Jessica. Uh, I'm going to let her talk about her story, but here's some highlights uh, just off her website that I want to talk about. And, and, and this is just leading into it. So you're going to be saying like, what, what does she do? So, okay. So check this out. In 2017, uh, she got the Ernest and Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award. Uh, this is a big deal. I thought it was interesting. In 2015, you were labeled number 45 on the Inc. 5000 for fastest growing companies. Uh, That's really impressive. And uh, person of the year by Austin's Lifestyle Magazine. Now you have a whole list, Jessica. Uh, Actually, I was pretty impressed by all that. So let's dive a little bit into like who you are. Uh, I know you're a mom, uh, you're a wife, all those things. Give me the 30,000 foot view of like who you are and what you do before we jump into all the other details. Yeah, totally. Well, thanks so much for having me on. I'm really excited to chat today. I love knowing that your wife and daughter are uh, into fashion. That's always fun. I'll, I'll convert you yeah. by the end of the podcast. <laughs> all right. We'll Don't do you that. worry. Don't you worry. Just watch out. Just watch out. Um, but yeah, I have three kids. I live in Austin, Texas. My kids are eight, nine, and 11. And I've got my oldest is a little girl and my youngest are two boys. And my youngest is actually adopted from Rwanda. And that is what began our journey into starting Noonday Collection. We started it about eight years ago when we'd been flipping houses and had been doing real estate and the recession hit. And soon we were living off our credit And that was painful, by the way. That was painful. It was extremely painful. I still shudder a little bit when I think about uh, how painful it was. But at the same time, I'm, of course, grateful. I realize now that, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yeah, ain't no joke. We were actually flipping houses at that time, got out of it for a while. And then um, we flip houses and have rentals now. And uh, we still do it. But I will never forget uh, 2007, 8, and, and 9. That was a very uh, painful, those were painful years. Yeah, they were. And I think for us, we were so young and hadn't really been exposed to the historical financial markets. And, you know, we were getting no-doc loans. We had, I think we owned like six houses at one time. And that was all that we had known. We thought that was normal, you know, and and money, and money was easy to get too. So what, oh, what's funny yeah. about that, you could just walk in on a handshake and you got a loan and you thought, oh, well, I must be doing something right. It's crazy. It was, it was crazy. Of course, we didn't know it was crazy, but we definitely took advantage of the situation. <laughs> but then suddenly money wasn't flowing and houses weren't selling. 
But we wanted to grow our family and we had prayed and thought, you know, how, how do we want to grow our family? We didn't want to just um, automatically do it the old fashioned way and really felt led towards adoption and international adoption specifically, which is pretty arduous and quite expensive. And so here we had made this decision to adopt and we had had a little bit of a nest egg that we thought we could, you know, that we were going to use. And before you knew it, we were living off of that nest egg. And before you knew it, we were putting credit, you know, groceries on the credit card. And at that time, we knew God had not changed his mind and that we still had a little guy waiting for us in Rwanda and we needed to find another way to bring money into our family. And I had been visiting some friends in Uganda a few months prior And they were in Uganda to create entrepreneurial opportunities for Ugandan people. And one of those opportunities was an artisan business. So they had met this young couple, Jolly and Daniel, who were extremely poor but extremely talented. And they wanted to help get their goods to America. So they paid them money up front to make these goods, got the goods to America, but didn't have anyone to, like, sell it, which is definitely key in the process. Yeah. And these goods had just been sitting in storage. And on my trip to visit them, they had said, you know, why don't you dust off this stuff and try to sell it? And when they first told me about it, I thought, are you crazy? I'm doing real estate right now. I've got two babies. We're about to start adopting. The last thing I need to do is start something else. But then just a few months later, when we're living on credit cards, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to call them up. I'm going to see if that offer is still on the table. And it was on the table, and they knew that we were in a financial crunch and really wanted to help get our adoption fund going. So they said, why don't you just sell the product? You know, we've already paid Jolly and Daniel, the artisans, and just, you know, you can use that money to seed your adoption. So I dusted off the product. I set up my home. I pulled out anything that was sellable in my home on top of that. (laughs) And I invited a bunch of friends over. I had like a backroom sale with my clothes. I had like my grandma's dishes lining the fireplace. It was kind of crazy. And I definitely had a lot of fear going into that evening. I think a lot of it was the fear of how it would be perceived because here we'd been these realtors and flipping homes, and now this looked pretty desperate. I was also afraid, well, no one's going to show up for me anyway, so I'm going to do this. I'm going to open my home. I'm going to sell this up, and no one's actually going to come. But in fact, everyone came. I had about 80 women show up. We did, I think, about 35 uh Three thousand five hundred to four thousand dollars in sales that night, and I realized there was so much power in inviting people into my story and inviting people in to help support us during that time. And then the woman just really responded to the product. They wanted to understand who was behind the people who were making it, and frankly, they just loved what what was available. And I started getting calls, you know, later in that week, like my friend couldn't come, but she really wants to buy this necklace. Like, how can you get more? And I think I realized that night that this could be a business. This could be something that I could do in order to continue to raise money for the adoption of our son, Jack, who we eventually brought home from Rwanda. And so I contacted Jolly and Daniel, these artisans in Uganda, through my friends. Jolly and Daniel, they didn't have a computer. They didn't even have a home. They were kind of jumping from house to house from people that would let them stay at their home. And I set up a Western Union account, and I wired a bunch of money over to them, sight unseen. I'd never met them. They went and bought what raw material and started making product. And then, lo and behold, it actually showed up, and I began to create a marketplace for Jolia and Daniel and eventually other artisans. And within a few months, uh, women were wanting to join with me. The adoption community at the time was pretty uh, niche and small, but very on fire and supportive of one another. And I had other women say, you know, could I begin selling Noonday Collection in order to raise money for my children's adoption? And 
I said, okay, sure, write up a compensation plan. I can send you some sample products and let's just give it a go. And within just like a month, like 10 other women contacted me and are like, I want to do this too. So before you knew it, I multiplied myself and had started basically a franchising operation through uh, this direct sales model. And, you know, to this day, we now have almost 2,000 ambassadors. We partner with 4,500 artisans around the world who impact 20,000 family members. And we have about 50 employees at our Austin office. So it's definitely taken us on a journey that I uh, didn't see when I first started. Um, And it's definitely a journey of entrepreneurship that's required a lot of courage continuing to this day. I don't think it ever stops, especially if you're wanting to be a growth and high impact, social impact company. Um, There's just always um, climbing the next mountain, which requires effort and super excited. So yeah, a lot of the reason I wrote this book was just to share um, my story of courage. I used to think that courage was, you know, for people like Martin Luther King or the firefighters of 9-11. And I thought that word was, it felt very abstract to me. But what I've realized that is that in spite of my fear, it's just when I stand up and go anyway, and I don't let my fear be in the driver's seat. That's really what courage is. It's just going scared. And so I wrote this book to kind of encourage people and catalyze people on their own journey of walking through fear because we all have it is what I've discovered. Not There's no one that has escaped the fear monster. Yes, absolutely. So I want to go back a little bit to your early journey as far as, um, and you, these aren't your words, these are mine, obviously, but basically being broke, uh, you're, you're living off credit card. Um, you're kind of in that place of a crunch. And then in the midst of that, you have a huge, I would say a financial mountain in front of you, obviously to adopt your son, correct? Yes. Okay. Yep. So you have, how much? $25,000. Okay. So we have this mountain in front of you. And I would think, uh, I'm just putting myself in your shoes and your husband's, I I would be a little nervous. I would be fearful, um, trying to figure out how I'm going to do this at that time. Was there like a scripture or did you felt like the Lord spoke to you? Um, you know, whether through a verse or audibly or just something that really just gave you that, um, courage to move forward. You know, I, think God speaks through so many different ways. Um, I think that he speaks to us through his word and through meditation and through other people. There were a couple moments where um, I did feel like specifically when we were praying about our adoption and Jack has kind of a miraculous story in and of itself, but there was one day where we were going to change our paperwork to uh adopt an older child. We had said, Oh, we just want like a perfect little infant six months or under. And then we just really became more open and wanted to just adopt any child from the orphanage that needed a home. But in order to do that, we needed to change our paperwork. And that day specifically, I did one of those open the Bible (laughs) point and, you know, God, let it be you. And every now and then, God's like, "Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that for you today." Um, so I did that, and actually opened right up to the story of, um, oh my gosh, Israel. Um, oh, why am I just suddenly forgetting it? But anyway, it said, "Don't be afraid. Lift the boy up. Take him by the hand, and I will make him into a great nation." The story of Ishmael. Oh wow. So um, anyway, so it's the story of Ishmael, and specifically it was that scripture that stood out to me, not this story. It was mainly just like, don't be afraid, lift the boy up, take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. And I mean, gosh, that's all I needed. And I I ended up getting that scripture painted and made into a painting that still hangs in their room to this day. And, you know, Jack really is a phenomenal child, and he— he actually is very spiritual himself. Like just, he seems to really understand and 
get it. And it's been a really cool journey. I mean, adoption, the first few years were obviously really challenging. You're taking a child from everything he's ever known. And, you know, he didn't have parents, but really it's been, it's been a journey. And he's so proud because he knows if, if it wasn't for him, then I wouldn't have noonday collection. Yeah, that's and, crazy. Yeah, he even said last week we're in Ink Magazine, July's issue of How I Built That, and it's really about this story that I just told you. And I was reading it to Jack, and he said, Mommy, I'm kind of the co-founder of Noonday Collection. <laughs> Smart kid. Like, yes, you are. Yes, you are. So it's, it's a cool story, and I'm just super grateful, and it gives him such a beautiful narrative to be a part of because, you know, the beginning years of his narrative are filled with grief and so it's awesome to get to rewrite that story. You know, the scripture that I thought of when you said that is um, there's uh, in the Old Testament, the Lord says, he says, I'll take your, uh, I'll turn beauty or ashes, ashes into beauty, mm-hmm. I believe. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think about is so many times in our lives, um, many people have stories like that early and the Lord wants to turn those into a beautiful masterpiece, but we just have to let them. Yes. Absolutely. And I, Absolutely. And I love that. So in the front cover of your book, it talks about um, uh, live a life of purpose. And obviously that's what my show's about is um, living out your purpose and discovering your purpose. Now, I think a lot of times, especially when we're young, we don't understand. Uh, I, I always think of like when we get to heaven, it's going to be like this uh, huge um, rug and our life is going to, we just see the thread, maybe a couple threads. But when we get there, we'll be able to see the masterpiece of this humongous rug or something that the Lord wove together. And what I'd like to, and, and I'm saying that to say, when you look back over your life, like I, I read a little bit about your bio, you've, uh, you talked about flipping houses, um, you went to school, uh, you went to college, I think for education or something, if, if if I'm right or uh, correct, mm-hmm. correct me. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of different things and, and you can look back and you can see how these were all stepping stones. Can you talk about that a little bit and just how like past things have helped you up into this moment of kind of stepping into what you're doing now? Yeah, it's really interesting because I used to feel a lot of shame about my story because it felt so patched together and it, like it didn't make sense. But what I've learned is that the path of success is not linear. I think especially now young people because of Instagram and we all sort of feel like success is this overnight thing. And I'm so glad, glad I didn't have social media in my twenties, no but, um, you know, I, yeah, I graduated from college with a Latin American studies degree and I moved overseas where I did midwifery in South America um, in Bolivia. And then I moved and did teaching in Guatemala. And we were mentored by a guy named Steve Corbett, who went on to write this book called When Helping Hurts. And I think that's when I was really given this worldview about poverty, that poverty uh, really is not just a physical, you know, like problem, but really it is um, a worldview that we can help others understand that they're created in the image of God. And we're each created to create. And I think that's when I saw that entrepreneurship could really be a path out of poverty. Because when I worked overseas, I noticed that the people that I worked with who were able to emerge from poverty had this entrepreneurial mindset, this idea that they weren't focusing on what they didn't have, but focusing on what they did have and using what they did have in order to multiply and grow. And then I came back and my husband and I uh, met during those years of Food for the Hungry and we came back to Austin, um, got married and really thought that we were going to go back overseas again. Um, And so we were kind of biding time. He got into construction. That was his background. I started working for a nonprofit with at-risk youth doing a mentoring program And then I got a little burnt out from nonprofit work. I got burnt out after a year, (laughs) not long. And I just decided I just need a job that's fun. And I went and sold jewelry at a very high-end jewelry store. I sold jewelry and wedding china. So if you have a china pattern, I can name it. I will tell you what it is. Wow. 
So, so I yeah. So that was fun to you. You know what? It's odd, right? Because you think um, I have a strong heart for justice, and I have a strong um, sort of. I, I woke up in the eighth grade to my own privilege and to the power that I had to be able to change lives. Um, but I did, I think in general, I just needed a bit of a break. I mean, living overseas for a couple of years and then working with at risk youth, I did, I needed some sort of just fun thing. And I remember I had, um, someone spoke over me when I was about 21, his name's Richard Foster. He wrote the book celebration of discipline. And I went to one of his retreats and he was super prophetic and he prayed over me didn't know me at all. I was about to move overseas. And he just said, never scorn the rich and never glorify the poor. Just walk in the Holy Spirit. Be like a Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa, whether she was cleaning up after a leper or, you know, helping a leper die, you know, or whether she was in the White House, she was the same person. And I think for those of us that have a strong call towards justice and towards being a voice for those who are in poverty, it's easy to judge the rich. And what I found, and then it's easy to glorify the poor and make the, oh, if you're poor, you're this hero. And I definitely went through both of those phases in my life when I was younger. And I think his words to me, you know, it it really is what I do today is we, you know, obviously we're working with women who want to purchase jewelry, so they might not consider themselves rich, but certainly by the world's standards, if you can open up your home to other women and actually buy accessories, then you have more money than a lot of other people in the world. And then we get to bridge that story with those that are poor from around the world, and we get to tell their stories. And I think through that, we get to see that we truly are more alike than we are different. And I think when we can really create a bridge and bridge those differences so that we can see more of our likeness, I think that's where we relate to each other more as humans and more as image bearers of God. And it's just this, it's this beautiful story. And so I look back and, you know, I worked at this jewelry company and that felt so random. I mean, it felt so random. And then we wanted to go to Africa. Real quick, let's go back to that yeah. because you said random, and, and I just don't believe in randomness. E- even though I, I know what you're saying because I, I, I use the same term. Like that to me at the time because it right. wasn't like, oh, I prayed and God led me to this jewelry store or I'm living my life's purpose. I mean, I think that's the disservice that we do to young people is that like, okay, you can only do what lights you on fire. It's like, well, sometimes it takes a lot of practice and exploring before you find what that is. You know, it's not going to come to you on your prayer chair. Like you need to get out there and you need to get experience. And that's when you learn what you love and what you don't. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, real quick though, I want to go back to, you said it at one point when you were younger, you used the quote, and I'm going to hack it right now, but you talked about like scorning the rich. It was kind of like that prophetic word that that guy spoke over you. Um, you said you had looked at rich and poor in different ways, obviously, as growing up from one end of the spectrum to the other. What did you learn from that? Because I think so many times I agree with you, and I have too, and I've gone through that myself, where you do look at rich people a certain way as if they don't contribute maybe and they just have money or then you look at poor people a certain way, but how has your mind shift changed and and why, what have you learned from that? Well, I think what I've learned is that we are all rich in so many ways. We've all been made as image bearers of God and it really isn't about this physical resource. I think it is about a worldview that when we can see ourselves as image bearers, as we can see ourselves and focus on what we do have um, instead of focusing on what someone else has or what we want to have in the future. And we live in this like point of arrival mindset instead of thinking right now today, you know, I have something of value to be able to give. I have an impact that I can make today. I've loved to give. I have an idea to go after. I think that that is really, um, yeah, the financial parts of poverty or richness are not really what ultimately creates and, um, 
you know, I think it's the the mental, the worldview that when people have that worldview that, you know, I can actually do something. I mean, when I first met Jolly and Daniel, my Ugandan artisans, I asked her what her dreams were. And she said, I just want to simply live and not die. And oh, that, wow. that was that poverty mindset, you know. But then once she began to hire a couple of artisans and begin to run her business, she became more of this confident woman and her worldview really changed. And now she dreams of starting a marriage retreat center. And that's been a dramatic shift over the last seven years. Dude, I'm just, there's so much to dive into because I'm thinking from the business perspective, uh, having multiple business, uh, just the impact that you're making in nations. Um, I just love it. I, I do want to jump in um, for a second to talking about your business and the expansion of that, because at the beginning, you said you've, you guys are up to like what um, I'm looking at my notes, 2000 ambassadors, 50 employees. Um, that That's a lot of responsibility and a lot of things are happening. Is there, because I love what uh, my friend, uh, Brad McClendon, he calls them God stories. Just were a moment as you were expanding where you just kind of sat back and was like, God, I can't do this. Like, this is so much bigger than me. Uh, kind of like it couldn't, I don't want to say couldn't get worse than this, but where, where you're just like, this is too much. You're going to have to intervene and show me how to do this because this is a lot. Do you have a moment like that or a story? I mean, I think I just had it this morning. Before <laughs> <laughs> well, great. It's fresh off the press and I get it first. I mean, I think that the lie that has contributed to a lot of my limiting beliefs and behaviors are that I'm all alone in the world and that at the end of the day, I'm going to have to figure it all out for myself. And I've seen how that lie perpetuates a independent attitude where I just, well, I'm going to have to take care of it. So I think the journey to really do things with God, which really is the story of Genesis. You know, Adam got to name the animals and the plants and God was with them in the garden together. And when sin entered the world, you know, God's first question was, um, where are you? Because they were off hiding. So I'm going to cry because this is really fresh. But, you know, I think God, he, he wants to co-labor with us. And that's just such a mind-blowing thing that the God of the universe, who has no need for us, it's not about need. It's about desire. He has such a wanting for us to do things with Him. And that's the name Emmanuel, is God with us. You know, that He came to be with us. And so I think for me, the, I can't believe I'm crying, but I kind of can. The journey of entrepreneurship, when we want to be a high growth company, I mean, it doesn't ever end. I mean, you're always, you are pushing for the next thing. And so I think my God story is continuing to fight um, to believe and receive the truth that God is with me and that not, not only is he with me, but he's in me. And you know, I'm not alone. Like I'm not the one who's having to shoulder all the responsibility because of course it, it can obviously feel that way, especially when we've created, you know, 4,500 jobs for vulnerable people around the world who, um, you know, are still emerging out of poverty and are dealing with, I mean, even in Haiti this week is all over the news. It's, um, going through a really hard time. We get a lot of product from Haiti. And so these stories are very much my stories. Those are my sisters. They're my brothers. These are people that I walk with. And my dad got diagnosed with cancer about a month ago. And, you know, these are the people who are, they're praying for me and they're walking with me. And my brothers and sisters in Rwanda and Uganda and Guatemala. So um, it can feel like a lot, like, gosh, you know, but there's the, there's that song. He's got the whole world in his hands. And I think often I think, well, I've got the whole world in my hands, but certainly that is the lie. It's the lie that wants to drive us away from God, that it's ultimately on us, um, that we're alone and that we're the ones, you know, got to pull us up by the bootstraps and figure this out ourselves. And, um, all of those things, these cliche things that we grow up 
kind of believing that the gospel completely unravels and turns upside down. So to me, it, that you're asking me for this God moment, and I would say it's, it's a journey. It's a God story that he's constantly revealing to me as he continues to show me my own uh, tendency towards self-reliance and uh, fear. And, can you know, I'm, I'm grateful for it because in so many ways I have felt uh, trapped by noonday. That sounds so terrible, but, you know, if you see my background, I definitely am someone who kind of like things get hard and I'll jump to the next thing. And, you know, when you own a business, like you just, there's not really a way out. I mean, of course we could sell, but I mean, we're not, that's not really what we're, that we're, we don't have an exit strategy. We're not raising funds. We're bootstrapped. So there's no escape. There's just simply accepting what is and receiving that, you know, it is too much, that God is enough. And I think that that's a daily lesson for me. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I, I'm laughing listening to you because uh, our family just got back from a New York trip. And the next day that I came back, our, our, everything in our business, we had multiple jobs that just seemed like a wreck when I got back. I was yeah. so stressed out. I, I mean, I totally feel uh, at the moment, sometimes I feel like I just think, God, is there something else I can be doing that's less stressful? And, and the thing <laughs> is, is is I laugh about that and we think that, but the truth is, is it doesn't matter what we do. If I was doing jewelry or construction or whatever it is that we do, you know, there's a level of stress that comes with those things and we can't walk away from them. But I love, I'm laughing at what you just said. I, I literally just wrote a chapter in my book this Sunday was talking about Genesis and mm. how it, ex, the exact story you just told about how God desires to co-create with us that, you know, people say um, that are obviously that are that are not Christians, um, they say, well, we're no different than animals. Um, and, and I've heard that before. But and, and if that is was true, which we know is not, you know, that the thing that we are able to do that nothing else in creation can do. Is uh, in Proverbs it says we can speak life and death or in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And we have the ability, uh, in just like in Genesis, to speak over situations in life, in businesses, in families, and and see God. We have the opportunity to co-create with Him, just even through our words. And uh, and that's just exciting. I, I just I, I think so many people, like you said, it's the lie that we believe we're the only ones in this. When in fact, we we all are in this journey. Are you a responsible person who finds yourself growing deeper and deeper in credit card debt, and you're not sure how to fix the problem? Then get ready for a toll-free number that will put you on a path to financial recovery. Trinity Debt Management is a nonprofit organization that will consolidate your accounts into one easy to manage monthly payment. Put a stop to late fees and over limit charges, reduce your interest rates by as much as 60%, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands and become debt free for keeps. It's not a loan, it's a smart way to relieve your stress, meet your obligations, and preserve your self respect. If your debt has you down, we should talk. Gather up your bills and call this toll-free number for a free, no-obligation debt analysis, 1-800-741-8205. Again, that number, 1-800-741-8205. You don't want to miss this opportunity. Give us a call today. Yeah, so um, just a lot of different things going on in the business, and then we have our leadership conference this week, and... I was on my spin bike and afterwards I was just like, you know, it's always hard. Like no matter what and how much I exercise, when I push myself and I do a climb, it requires effort. And I think that this escapist mentality is to believe that, oh gosh, well, if I had, if this was going on in the business or if my business was more like this person, then I wouldn't be in the situation I'm in or I wouldn't feel the the discomfort and the stress and all of these things. Um, But I think that's all just to prevent us from kind of being in the moment and being able to really receive 
in the moment what God has for us because, you know, daily bread and he's the I am. He's not the I was or the I will be. And he's the I am. I mean, he is the present God with us for every moment, every day. And I think that it's, yeah, to, to really see that God is the one who is with us. To me, that's been the journey that I'm constantly praying for that revelation because, you know, I think then there's so much joy. There's so much joy in our work when we are doing it with the creator of the universe. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think as we tap into that and just realize that it's not about self-reliance, that he wants to literally partner up with us in our marriages and our children and our businesses, just everything and, uh, and, and create in those things. And I think when we do that and we allow him, uh, just amazing things happen. Okay. So there's so many questions I could ask you and, and for the sake of time, we won't go, well, we might go longer. I don't know, but, um, there's a couple of things that, that just come to my mind, but the impact that you've made in nations, I would love to hear, um, a story that just maybe that's fresh on your heart that you've been able to see. So you're using your your gift um, of what God's given you, and you're partnering up with men and women all over the world, and you're impacting. What if by you serving them and partnering up with them, what are some of the impacts that it's made culturally for them in like where they're from? Yeah, I mean, I think that we've been able to come alongside um, artisans. I mean, in Rwanda, when we were in the middle of adopting Jack um, and I was in the middle of starting Noonday, I always knew that our packaging, I wanted it to be really um, cute and unique to our brand. And I was talking with a friend living in Rwanda who was actually helping to facilitate our adoption. And I write about this story in my book. But I reached out and I said, do you know of any sewing groups, women who sew and could make cute little bags out of African fabric that my jewelry could come in? And she said, you know, I do know of a couple of of sewing groups, but I also know of quite a few women that are extremely poor that could really use a job opportunity. And I wonder if we could get enough money together to send them through sewing school and form a sewing co-op for them to begin making bags for noonday collection. And that I was nervous about that because at the time, you know, noonday was really not, it was me. It was just me, myself and I working out of my guest bedroom or in my closet. And here we were going to send these women through sewing school and then say, you know, we really hope you have jobs when you're done. But again, it was just another going scared moment where you don't know the future, but I'd rather die trying than, you know, not try at all. I'm much scared. I'm much more fearful of not trying than trying and failing. And so we did. We rallied friends to put these women through sewing school. And then when I went and picked Jack up, he, um, I I spent an afternoon with these women. I'd never met them before and they were super apprehensive of me. I mean, here I am coming in like, Hey, you're going to learn how to sew and hopefully you'll have a job afterwards. And (laughs) you know, they're, they're making a sacrifice. They're finding childcare for their family. And they are also, you know, having to pay for some of the sewing classes themselves as well. And so they were, you know, rightly apprehensive, but they went to sewing school and they, after about six months when they're in sewing school and it's kind of approaching the end and I'm like, oh my gosh, I do not know how to like design for, I, I was mainly doing jewelry. So I was like, I don't know how to draw up patterns and get these women to be able to sew or any of this stuff. And right around that time, um, I posted a picture of my little girl. She was, I think, five at the time. And she was wearing an outfit by this clothing company called Matilda Jane Clothing. And I posted it on my blog. um, And somehow word got to Matilda Jane about Noonday Collection. And the owner, Denise, was just a lovely woman. Unfortunately, she passed away of cancer a few years ago. But she's a lovely woman. And she reached out to me and she said, I want to be a part of this. I don't know how or what, but I want to help you. And her company at the time was 
$25 million company and she had a brand. She truly had a brand. And so I said, okay, well, gosh, I have these women in Rwanda that are about to graduate from sewing school and I have no idea what to do next. I know I want them to make some bags, but you know, I I think they could use doing some other things. She said, I'm going to send my design team there. I'll send them there. And oh my I'll, gosh! And I'll provide seed money so that the seamstresses so that they can um, rent a space to be able to sew in. And so it was crazy. She sent a whole team of her designers over. We designed a collaborative collection together that we co-branded. And to this day, those women now seven years later are creating our bags. And when I went and visited Rwanda last, it was I think about two or three years ago. Now um, I visited Grace's home, and she's pointing to her water well saying, this is because of my job. You know, I used to have to go and fetch water, you know, from very far away. And, you know, and my roof is now a metal roof. And so it doesn't leak during the rainy season now. And thanks to my job. So there have been um, just a lot of tangible transformation that has happened, which is absolutely what keeps me going. And, you know, and I do have those escape mentalities of like, why am I doing such a complicated business? I mean, we're working with these ambassadors, social entrepreneurs, and they're independent contractors, and they have a high ownership mentality, which is awesome. And then we're working with vulnerable populations, you know, artisans that are like, hey, I have no cash anymore. And we're like, well, what happened? You know, we've, we've prepaid already for that payment. So how are you managing your cash flow? We need to be more involved in your business. And you know, it's just complicated. Um, at the same time, you know, I think some of the most challenging things are the most rewarding. And certainly walking this path is the most rewarding path I could ask for. That's funny you said that. I'm, I'm laughing just thinking because uh, they're subcontractors. I deal with that all the time. Like I have guys that obviously work for uh, uh, Casey, my wife and I's company. And guys are like that. Like some are great and they can manage their money well. And I can prepay, get materials, do stuff. And other people, like, I have to get, same deal. I have to get involved. I'm like, how do you not have any money? You just got paid. And uh, we have to finish this job. And uh, <laughs> so I'm just, like, laughing, thinking, like, oh, wow, you deal with that in jewelry, too? I'm not, I'm not the only one. Yeah, isn't that crazy? You know, it is. It's, it's crazy. And, again, it goes back to what we're saying, that, You know, you could look at my life and say, gosh, on a hard day, I wish I was running a jewelry company. And I could look at your life and say, gosh, I wish I was back in the days of flipping a house. But it's just all escapist mentality instead of owning like, this is a story that God's given me and I'm going to live in it. I'm not going to try to live outside of it today. I'm going to own it. I'm going to take that Sharpie marker and I'm going to write this story with God and quit trying to think about how I can get out of it. Absolutely. Um, at the end of the show, I do have something for you. I want to give you, the Lord gave me an idea for you, for your business. Uh, and I'm I'm not going to, uh, I'm going to do it after the show. So, uh, anyways, I just wrote it down so I didn't forget it. And and it's about how getting your people more involved in their story. So I'm excited about that. Okay. Last couple of questions I want to ask you. Um, what do you feel like your biggest strength is? I, I'm definitely a jump first person. I, um, I act, I'm an activator and I really, uh, I enjoy activating other people. And I think that I, um, can move people to action. And, um, I think that is, I think being able to use my passions in order to influence others to intrinsically motivate them to do good um, it's, it's a real joy cause it's not leadership. that's holding out a carrot, you know, it's not like, okay, we're going to do this and we're going to put this in place. And then you're going to go after the reward that drives the behavior. Um, of course there's some of that. I mean, it's a sales company, but at the end of the day, you know, the people that are working for noonday are there because of the purpose. And I think that, um, catalyzing people towards that purpose is, I find a lot of joy in that. Absolutely. I like that. Okay. What do you feel like your biggest weakness is? Sometimes it's an overextension of our strength. Um, I don't know if if you have one there you want to talk about. Yeah. I mean, I think we touched on a lot today. It's what kind of brought me to tears, but I tend to, because I'm always kind of an action oriented person and I'm pushing for more and I'm pushing for what's next. I can not be very content 
and I can compare, I can think about what others have, you know, I can think about what my future state will have. And I think that there is a tension between being a future oriented person that is a driver towards a goal and then also just being really content and grateful in the present. Man, you can say it is hard when you're a high D or a driver type personality. And that's something the Lord's been showing me is I've just been trying to sit back in the moment and literally think about the moment that I'm in and Mm -hmm. what is happening and what the Lord is doing and what he's showing me. Because if I don't, if I literally don't tell myself those things, I can just drive right through that moment and go to the next thing and then forget about even what even happened in my day. And, uh, true. So yeah, I've been doing that. Okay. Um, one question we never skip. Uh, sometimes people get to prep for this one. So this is going to be fun because this is going to put you on the spot just a little bit. Um, so you remember the movie back to the future. Uh, I always use, uh, the DeLorean. So if you were to go back to a younger you and give yourself advice, now you can't change anything that's going to happen in the future. Um, but you're going to give yourself kind of like a motivational pep talk. What advice would you give yourself and at what age? I would have given myself a pep talk from the age of like 29 to 35, which is when I was having babies. And I think that I, again, because I, I felt a little trapped by motherhood Um, well, because it is absolutely inescapable. So again, it's going back to my personality type that is a little bit more of like, go jump to the next fun thing instead of staying in the heart and receiving that as a gift. And I think that, you know, I would have wanted to, well, I would have like, wish I knew about the Enneagram. I don't know if you're into that personality test at all. (laughs) This, uh, that's funny. You just said that last week, um, our uh, interview was with a guy that just wrote the Enneagram book, uh, the new okay. one, and we just did a whole show on Enneagram. It was either last week or the week before. So yes, it was it was a fantastic interview. So that's awesome. So I'm a seven on the Enneagram, which means I'm sort of the enthusiast, but we are escape artists. And so I think if I would have known more, like this is just kind of how I'm made that I'm, you know, that motherhood would naturally feel a little bit like a trap for me because it's so permanent and permanence and commitment is hard. And I think that's why God is like gently orchestrated permanence in my life. And, um, you know, like I said earlier, you can't, you can't get out of running your business. I mean, eventually you could, but it's not like a quick thing, you know, it's not like, Oh, you can't just quit a job. Like you, like you can quit a job. You can walk out of a job, but you can't walk out of your own company. And, um, motherhood's the same way. Like you were just like, well, I, I got to feed my baby. And, um, so I think I would have wanted to really, uh, learn how to be more present and kind of receive the season that I was in and really know that life is about seasons and, you know, one season lasts and the next one begins. And I think, I think at the time I just thought this is never going to end. It's always going to feel this way. And I think I thought more in extremes and instead of really just receiving a season for what it was. Absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing that. Okay. So you just gave yourself advice. And as we wrap up the show, my guests always leave a piece of parting advice for my audience. What is, do you feel like is on your heart that you want to leave our audience? Well, I really do have this desire to catalyze people through their fears. And that is what motivated me to write my book, because I think I had a choice to make. And I think we all have that choice. And I know I enjoy choosing comfort. I love time on my sofa, watching Netflix, cuddled up with the kids. But I think that there's also a time when we need to learn to get up off from off of our couch and walk out our front door and choose to leave comfort behind and to rip off the bubble wrap that we often wrap around our lives in order to insulate us from pain or from suffering or from embracing compassion and creating a more compassionate world. And so my, my advice would be just to examine your fears and understand what they're really about and also to understand what you really want. Cause I think sometimes we, we think we want, um, 
we want the donut, but what we really want is just to feel satisfied and the donut isn't going to get us there. So understand what you, what you really want and what God has for you. And don't be afraid to pursue those things. Don't let your fears hold you back. Amen to that, man. That is great advice. Okay, so how do we get a hold of you? Let's say we want to buy your book, we want jewelry, we want to hear your story, maybe come speak at our church. Um, there's, we got a big audience, so somebody surely is going to want to connect with you somehow. How do we do that? I hope they will. Yeah, so my book is for sale, and I would love for you guys to buy it. It's available on Amazon, Target, anywhere books are sold. And I'm really active on Instagram. So I don't know if your audience is active on Instagram, but I'm Jessica Honiger at Instagram, um, just at Jessica Honiger on Instagram. And that is two G's, one N. And I also have a podcast, the Going Scared podcast with Jessica Honiger, where we talk about courage and we talk about our fears and walking through our fears. And um, I'm having a blast over there. So I'd love for y'all to find me over on iTunes at Going Scared and reach out to me, DM me on Instagram. And I would love for you to buy my book. In September, we're doing a whole um, Going Scared Facebook group. So um, when you buy my book, you get to be a part of that group. And I'm really excited about helping people walk through those fears and living out of that passion I have to catalyze others. I love it, man. That is so exciting. So, okay. Well, Jessica, if you'll hold on just a second as we wrap up the show, and I'm going to give you some, I think, Holy Spirit wisdom on an idea for your business. And uh, so excited about that. Roar Nation, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I hope you feel inspired. As you can see, all of us deal with a certain level of uncertainty, being scared, stepping out into the unknown. But as Jessica said earlier, God just wants to partner with you and he wants to step into your story and create something beautiful because that's how he designed you. He knows how he designed you and he wants to help you along that path of you discovering you and creating amazing things. So I just encourage you guys today, step out and do something awesome because you're awesome. We love you guys. Please rate and review us. Leave reviews on iTunes. Uh, Send us emails if you're looking for our purpose course. Also send us a message on that. We're about to launch another course on finding purpose. We love y'all. Remember, be real, be authentic, and be you. God bless. That's all for this episode of Are You Real? Finding the Authentic You. Be sure to go to areyoureal.org for your free questionnaire to identify your gifts and talents and how you can use them to help people become leaders and catapult them into their destiny to help others become the leaders of tomorrow. We appreciate you spending your time with us and look forward to helping you reach out and revolutionize next time on Are You Real? Finding the Authentic You.